3: Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Jillian Welsh.
4: When I got my period and stained my white pants, because there's a bit of a learning curve when you first start menstruating.
3: (laughs) That and more. But before that, it is my job to tell you that Tuesday on MTV, the final season of Teen Wolf begins. Do you want drama? Do you want bromance? Do you want bad guys who can erase people from history? I want good guys who can erase people from history right now. Uh, If you said yes to even one of those, then this is Can't Miss TV made just for you. Catch up on the MTV app now if you've fallen behind because these last episodes of Teen Wolf will make you scream and probably cry at the same time. That's the final season of Teen Wolf premiering on MTV. And just one more thing, with the holidays almost here, you don't have time to go to the post office. It's going to be packed. With so many people, you want to scream. So, do what we do use stamps.com instead. With stamps.com, you can avoid the hassle of going to the post office during the holiday season. Everything you do at the post office, you can do right at your desk buy and print official US postage using your own computer and printer. Print postage for any letter or package the instant you need it, then the mailman picks it up. We use stamps.com. At risk and the story studio, you should too. Right now, you can sign up for stamps.com and use our promo code RISK for this special offer. It's a four week trial plus a hundred and ten dollar bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the home page and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now, here's the show. Hello kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, this is Ben Webster, and Coleman Hawkins, behind me now, one of my all-time favorites, it's called It Never Entered My Mind. Uh, we're calling this week's episode Unthinkable, because uh, we are going through quite the emotional experience right now. Something, if you listen to last week's episode, uh, it was recorded on Monday night, just before Tuesday, the election, 2016. And you can hear in my voice, I haven't listened back to it, but I remember it, uh, that I was so very hopeful and confident that we would have our first woman president at this point. And instead, things went very, very, very differently. And I think for a lot of us, it's been a uh, very, very trying time just coming to grips with this. In the last few weeks of the election, there was a joke that I was telling on stage. We got a lot of laughs every time I told it. The joke was, hey, here's an idea for a horror movie. What if the election day just kept never quite arriving. <laughs> you know, like uh, like the hallway in a Hitchcock movie that just keeps uh, expanding. But now I feel like we're in a uh, a more frightening scenario than that little movie idea right there. Of course it was mostly because of the polling that I was so confident that Clinton would win, but also, just some sort of fundamental faith that someone campaigning on hate and fear would just not jibe with the American family. Now, I just want to say this. I want and have always wanted all of us to consider this podcast a community, a living community. And I I want us to consider it even more so that in the coming years, this is a place, this podcast is a place where I want you to feel that you can find connection with others on risk. We cherish hearing about the most intimate life experiences, the most heartfelt thoughts and feelings from people of all walks of life, women, people of color, People of different faiths, different sexual orientations or genders, rich people, poor people, city people, rural people, everyone is welcome here. As long as you come here with respect and compassion for others, we invite you onto our stages. We invite you into our seats and we hope you're inviting us into your your earbuds And hopefully one another's lives. We love it when we hear that two people became friends over a shared love of risk. We love it when we hear that someone says, hey, my friend is a very conservative guy, very right leaning, voted for Trump. But uh, he heard, you know, a Muslim person talking about their life on risk and felt that his worldview was somewhat broadened by it. Let me tell you something. Whenever a person of color says to me, oh my God, I love risk. I take two hands and grab hold of them and say, pitch us your stories. It doesn't have to be about anything in particular, just something that was meaningful, something you cared about that happened to you. Now at this point we truly do not know what these coming years are bringing. The Republican taking on the most powerful position in the world will have a Republican House and Senate and soon Supreme Court. And he's already shown in his career, in his personal life, in his campaign, much of the stuff he has made of. (laughs) And I don't think it's the right stuff. At the very least... We've got someone who is a pathological liar and who has narcissistic personality disorder, right? One of my favorite stories is Moby Dick. I love the novel Moby Dick. It doesn't matter if you've read it or not, because I'm sure you you know the gist of it. There's this very profound chapter where Ishmael, who's the narrator, comes to this really scary realization midway through the story. He, he basically says, oh... I'm going to be stuck on this boat for years and the crew is filled with yes men and the captain is a ticking time bomb. (laughs) And, And that may be a lot like our situation right now. Now I do know that some of you listening right now might be Trump voters. And if you are, my goodness, I welcome you with open arms I don't want to make you feel alienated. But uh, speaking to, I think, most of us, I do want to say we should all consider adding activism to our already busy lives. Getting involved somehow. I just bought three books. One's called Doing Democracy. One's called An Action a Day. And another is called change of heart what psychology can teach us about spreading social change I subscribe to a podcast I have, it's new to me called the best of the left there are groups to consider becoming a member of the NAACP 350.org the democratic Socialist. it's a good idea to buy a subscription to a legitimate news source support journalists who are doing real work I'm thinking of, you know, bringing something up each episode in the coming years. Hey, here's an idea of something you could do. Here's one right now. Nationalpopularvote.com. If you go to nationalpopularvote.com, you can alert your representative to get your state in on this initiative. There are 11 states that have opted into this that say that, On election day, they will give all of their electoral votes to whoever got the popular vote. And so if we get 10 more or 11 more states to do that, bam, the next election will go to the candidate who got the most votes. But we need to stay energized, folks. We need to keep coming back again and again over these next few years. You know, the left needs new energy, new people, new strategies and a new tone to some of our communication, I would say. You know, if we're burning flags and scolding people left and right about safe spaces and trigger warnings and calling anyone who might not be a full-fledged bigot, a bigot, you know, rashly and right off the cuff, we are not likely to be winning people over. And if Tuesday proved nothing else, It's that we need to be winning people over. I have a friend on Facebook. Her name is Rachel. And she wrote to me. She said, I've been trying to engage some of the Trump supporters that I'm Facebook friends with in conversation. One at a time. Really kind, compassionate conversations where we can just find one small thing to agree on. Usually I can get them to cop to having one marginalized friend, and we go from there. We don't want to submit to anything that is abhorrent. We don't want to acquiesce, to give in. We have reason to be angry. We have reason to be loud. But we also have to be strategic. There's a new expression people on the left are using nowadays and this one I can get behind the saying goes instead of calling someone out first see if you can call them in I hope that we continue to be about that sort of thing here on risk and I welcome your suggestions you know things I might toss out there to the listeners every week about hey you might want to try this out you might want to do that to so that we all stay woke stay active take care of ourselves, and become the movement that ultimately saves our country and saves our world from this current mess that is spilling out all around us. Now, we did the show in the great city of Baltimore on Saturday night, and I just wanted to play a little clip here to show you how we in the Risk Live audience were dealing with our emotions about this particular week that night. Here it is. I do want to say something about this week. First of all, does everyone remember when Yoko Ono, back in around 1969, 1970, Yoko Ono and John Lennon discovered primal screaming therapy, right? So they started incorporating it in a lot of their art, this just like raging screaming, and it's really, really dramatic to hear, and it's very cathartic. Well... She's about 85 years old right now, so she hasn't done that in many, many years. But on Twitter the other day, she said, I have a message for Donald Trump, and it's a brand new primal scream from (laughs) 85-year-old Yoko Ono. And it was just so funny and yet really moving to hear I think we should all do that right now. I want to lead us in a whole room full of letting our feelings out about what the fuck is going on, right? So let's do it together. One, two, three. Ah! (laughs) <laughs> so, so there you go. There we are, sounding our barbaric yawp. Now, let's get to the stories. We decided this week to run an episode of Funny Stories. The episode's called Unthinkable, which is a nod to what we've just been through, but it's also kind of a nod to the ridiculousness of the situations of everyone finds themselves in in these stories. We figured we needed a little bit of a break from uh, some of the really serious stuff to, uh, you know, focus on some lighthearted stuff going on in today's stories. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from the great Josh Gondelman, one of my favorite people in comedy, just a total sweetheart and such a smart guy. He is a writer for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. But before that, a little something from Jillian Welsh, who told this story the last time we were in Toronto. Jillian's going to be in the next stage theater festival in January in Toronto. Here she is now with the story we call Aunt Flo. <laughs>
4: buddies. Uh, Have you guys been to New York before? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I used to live there, but did you ever notice how there was like these like two police officers at the opening of a subway and this like plastic table? And I had no idea what that was. And I was just like mentioning this to Kevin because he's from there. And did you know it's like a random bag search that like people like you can just like go over and they just like look through your belongings. I don't know. I thought that was weird and maybe funny. Uh, Yeah. Okay, so, uh, as I said, I, I was living in New York City when I was about 19 years old, and I was working for a Shakespeare company for an entire season. And there, I fell head over heels in love with one of my fellow actors, Jeffrey Warwick Brown, the second. Man, like, I would go out of my way to kind of just, like, smell him. <laughs> And he had this skin, like I would, I like try and touch his skin. It was so soft, and it was like this beautiful, soft ebony skin wrapped around these rock hard muscles. And when he would like speak, he had this voice, this deep velvet voice. And when he would wrap the heartened bard's language in it, and look at me in my eyes, I would forget my lines. Like I would straight up forget what I was supposed to say. And after a while, it kind of became clear that. He sort of liked me, too. (laughs) But I have one very, very important rule in the theater, and that is you do not sleep with the people you are working with, especially when you're locked into a year-long contract. But by night, my right hand, and sometimes my left, (laughs) would embody Jeffrey until (laughs) my sweat soaked the sheets. So finally, the whole year goes by. Everybody knows, right? Like, people can feel when there's sexual tension in the air. That's like, like, real human emotion is like crack for theater people. So everybody's just watching us. (laughs) So it's the end of our final cast party, and I'm standing outside of the bar in a street light, and I'm finishing the end of a cigarette before I hail a cab, because sometimes I'm a little bit bad. (laughs) when all of a sudden I feel him come up next to me and I hear the shing scratch of his Zippo lighter because most of the time he is very bad. (laughs) And then he looks at me and I look at him and he just takes this like stray strand of hair that I have on my cheek and he tucks it behind my ear and then he slowly leans in and presses his lips up against mine and it moves into one of those, like, really deep, passionate kisses. And I know that we were making that shit look good because we are actors. <laughs> so then he looks at me with this, like, devilish grin in his eyes that contain the secrets of the universe, and he says, So, uh, you want to come back to my place? And with all the nonchalant sex I can muster, I'm like, Sure. Sure. <laughs> bumped my head getting into the cab, but we are moving on. So they get to his five-story Brooklyn walk-up, and he's got me pressed up against the door while he's fondling my breast and unlocking his door at exactly the same time. This was a very, very talented man, triple threat and beyond. So finally we get into his apartment and I have to pee because I've been drinking beer all night long. So I'm like, God, excuse myself to the bathroom. And I get in there and I realize that I'm nervous. Like my hands are shaking and my heart is just like racing. And I catch my own reflection in the mirror and I'm like, Jillian. Listen, okay, you have wanted this for an entire year. You have thought about this moment, and finally it is here, and you are gonna be great. And then I like give myself the guns and I dance a little bit, and I'm like pumped and ready to go. And I sit down to pee when, oh no, oh no, 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 no. Three days. Before I'm supposed to, in that exact moment, I get my period. My dream man is outside, and my uterus is holding up a red flag. <laughs> now, I'm gonna pause here for a moment and take you a little bit outside of this bathroom that we're in right now because I know I was talking like real slow sex, Manhattan cool, and talking about masturbation in the beginning. My reality, like my actual reality, is that I grew up on a farm in southwestern Ontario with a bunch of really conservative Catholics. Yeah, Yeah. when I got my period and stained my white pants, there's a bit of a learning curve when you first start menstruating. (laughs) We pretended collectively, as a family, particularly my dad that i sat in jam <laughs> and you know i needed to be more careful where you parked your ass cuz you never know where that jam might be yeah. and then when i tried to like remedy the situation by like switching to tampons my mother cried when she found out she cried because I lost my virginity to a tampon. <laughs> so let's get back into that bathroom, shall we? What the hell am I gonna say? I I that my period is obviously something that I do not feel comfortable talking about. What am I gonna do? So I open up the door, and there he is. Jeffrey. Warwick Barnes the second. And he's topless, and I swear to God, he was glistening. <laughs> and he's taken like this like, little scarf and like thrown it over his lamp, so it's this beautiful orange lighting everywhere. And he slowly comes up to me, and he presses his lips up against mine, and my knees go weak, and then I remember. <laughs> and then he laughs a little bit, I pull away, I giggle. <laughs> he kisses me again, I pull away again. He's like, man, is everything okay? Like. Like, well, we don't, we don't have to do, like, we don't have, nothing's expected here. And I'm like, no, 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 I, I want this. This is something that I want, <laughs> but, and I'm like, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And I'm like, my Aunt Flo, my aunt, my Aunt Flo has just landed, and she is very much in town. <laughs> And he's looking at me, and he's like, "What? Like, I, so what? Your aunt is here? Is she at like the airport or something? Like, do you have to go get her? Like, just like, can't she take a cab?" And I'm like, "No, no, 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 <laughs> no." Um, and I just look at him, and I finally, my, I feel my cheeks go super red and really hot, and I look at the ground, and I'm like, "I have my period." <laughs> And I look up, and he's looking at me, and he laughs. He's like, (laughs) so? (laughs) I'm like, so? I mean, what do you mean, so? And he's like, so? And I'm like, so? (laughs) So, what do you mean? He's like, man, listen. I grew up with a bunch of sisters. Like, I don't care. Now, in hindsight, that's a bit weird. (laughs) talking about your sisters in that moment (laughs) but at the time it was like everything i needed and he looked at me with that devilish grin again and he said it's now or never kid (laughs) and so i flipped off the light and for the first time in my entire life i just let go Like, I felt what it was like to move and breathe and make your body a part of another body. I stopped thinking about, like, oh, how is my hair cascading on the pillow? Or am I making the right sounds at the right time? (laughs) Yeah, or like, is this right? Am I doing this right? All of that was gone. It was just me and another person. I was making sounds I didn't expect to make. I discovered flexibility I didn't know I had. And then, for the first time in my whole life, I had an orgasm from having sex. I just lied there with him afterwards like I just craved the sound of his own heartbeat so I'm listening to it on his chest and I'm tracing like his little chest hairs and the beads of sweat and I realize in that moment I finally feel like I figured it out what it is to be a woman like I have finally unlocked this secret magic that we all hold within us and eventually he gets up to go to the bathroom and he, like, turns on the light. I turn off the light. <laughs> he turns the light on, I turn it off. He laughs, he goes to the bathroom, I turn the light on. It was like C.S. fucking <laughs> ah! I in there. I pause for a moment in sheer amazement that this, this little vessel could hold just much and then to my own catholic shame and guilt straight ahead of me on the very very white wall is my own crimson handprint (laughs) oh I started to move I just like stripped the sheets off of the bed and then with my own saliva I am wiping down the walls (laughs) it's like out, out, damn spot! Ha. Yeah. I'd like to take a moment to thank the human who invented high-gloss paint. Way to go. And I don't know if I was, like, moving like the Flash, or if he had a bit of clean-up to do on his own end of things. But by the time he came back into the room, I had the lights on full, the bed was made... And by the bed was made, I mean I just like pulled the comforter up so he couldn't see that the sheets were missing. Because in my despair with these sheets, I didn't know whether to put them in his hamper, because then I thought he's gonna have to wash these sheets in the hamper. So then I went to go and put them under the bed, and then I'm like, he's gonna find them underneath the bed. So I took these bloody sheets and I put them in my own backpack. <laughs> because I'm a lady. So there he is (laughs) in his clean-walled room (laughs) with his bed-made son's sheets. He doesn't know that part yet. And I'm fully dressed. And I just, like, start making up things of, like, oh, man, I got to work in the morning. And I forgot my waitress apron. (laughs) I got to go home to get it. So thank you, good night, goodbye. And he just looks so hurt. And I got outside and... Fuck, the guilt for guilt set in. I mean, here was this guy, this guy that I really, really liked. I mean, he was brilliant, and he was talented, and he liked me back, and he didn't care. And now I just left, and he thinks that it was like some one-night stand thing. But furthermore, I have stolen his sheets! (laughs) How do you come back from stealing someone's sheets? I'm not like supposed to text him and be like, "Oh, <laughs> funny thing, <laughs> open my bag and your sheets were in there." <laughs> Weird smiley face emoji, coffee, and so I'm like deep into the like, "What do I do? What do I do? What do I do?" And I'm on the subway platform when I hear, "Excuse me, ma'am." Oh. I look up, and I see an NYPD police officer beckoning me over to the random bag search. Oh yeah, interesting fact. Do you know if you try to, like, ignore them and, like, briskly, like, light run-walk away from the random bag search? <laughs> the NYPD also have legs, and they will use them. And they will get you. And when they get you... and they find out you have a bag of bloody sheets, I mean, shit gets real. It gets, it gets real, real, real fast. So there I am standing on the subway platform and Officer Schmitz is holding up my menstrual sheets of doom. And I'm very aware that they don't look like menstrual sheets of doom. They look like murder sheets of doom. It's like, ma'am, do you want to tell me what's on these sheets? And I just, like, explode. I like to pretend like I played it cool. No, I was straight up, like, 12-year-old farm girl. Of, like, <laughs> i like, I was super in love. And then this guy, and I had my period, and I don't know. And I stole his sheets, and I know that that is a crime, Okay. <laughs> I that that is bad but I am going to return them like I will think of a plan okay I just need to wash them first and officer schmitz is like looking at me because this was a display that was going on and there's another officer there so they kind of like go off and they talk a little bit and I'm supposed to stand in this like little like box area I'm not supposed to move and finally they come back and Officer Schmitz looks at me and he says, well, here's what we're gonna do. <laughs> and Officer Schmitz gives me an ultimatum. I can go with him down to the precinct. We can file a report and keep the sheets, in case they're evidence. <laughs> or we can go back from whence I came and have my partner corroborate my story. I gave it a good think. (laughs) Just trying to think, like, how long would I be in jail for? (laughs) Uh, So there I am, and that five story (laughs) Brooklyn walk up, standing in front of that door. That same door that only hours before I was pressed up against having my breasts fondled, and now I've got the NYPD. So Officer Schmitz knocks on the door and Jeffrey opens, like he's like a little groggy at this point, because oh, that took a bit. <laughs> and he sees me, he's like, oh hey. And then he sees the cops and he's like, oh. <laughs> and Officer Schmitz takes over because I'm just like crying.
5: <laughs>
4: he's like, Sir, do you know what these are? And he has my backpack at the time, and he pulls out these sheets and he's like uh, yes, well, those would be, uh, those would be my, she- my sheets, my, my recently departed sheets. <laughs> He's like, and sir, could you tell me what is on these sheets? <laughs> and then Jeffrey, he gets like a little bit sassy, and he just looks Officer Schmitz right in the eye, and he says... Menstrual fluid. <laughs> he just said it. <laughs> so then Officer Schmitz, he's like, okay, thank you, hands me my bag and says, have a good night. <laughs> so we both just kind of like watch him leave. <laughs> and then I turn back and I just start crying even more I'm like trying to apologize and he's like hey hey so uh he looks at me and he lifts my chin he's like so I guess you like really didn't have to work in the morning right and I'm like no I'm sorry I lied I just and he's like you're like strange (laughs) You're like the strangest person I've ever met. Wonderfully strange. (laughs) And then he says, you think that uh, maybe you and that Aunt Flo of yours would want to come in and spend the night? And then maybe tomorrow after we go to the laundromat, I'll show that aunt of yours Central Park. (laughs) And I stayed. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it didn't work out in the long run because he had to go do some Shakespeare in Texas and I, I moved to Canada. Uh, yeah! <laughs> Toronto! Uh, but for that brief moment, that beautiful window of time in my life, it was so full of magic. And I guess if I had to think of like why I'm, I'm telling you this story, love is a beautiful disaster. I mean, it is messy but it can be wonderfully messy so dive in with both feet any chance you get thank you
1: now from the world of the gruesome and grotesque comes your most horrifying meeting with nerve chilling fear
5: menstrual fluid
4: this mess could have been avoided.
1: It's an unbelievably terrifying experience. But you must see all this for yourself,
5: if you're brave enough.
4: He's covered in blood again. Why is it he's always covered in blood?
5: You'll see an orgy of bloody terror. The house that dripped blood, blood, blood,
1: blood, blood. Sometimes you don't want to believe
6: what you see but sometimes it's true.
2: Thank you. So I moved to New York City about five years ago and it was a very alienating experience for me. I didn't feel like I belonged. I felt out of place everywhere and everything just felt like more of a struggle than it should have been. I felt lonely even though I had friends and was in a relationship. I felt unsure of myself even though I knew what I'd come here to do and I'd felt very good when I moved here and it just kind of rattled me. And I want to tell you a story about how I came to feel at home in this city. And maybe this will make you guys feel a little better if you ever have these kind of moments of alienation and loneliness. The story happened on the subway which is like the crucible of humanity in New York City. It really tests what you're made of as a person, and you come out different on the other side of every trip. I was just in London for three days, which is five days American. London is like a huge metropolitan city, But in a lot of ways, it's kind of quaint and old timey compared to New York, specifically because of the public transportation. In London, they have signs in all their subway stations warning you not to get too close to the platform edge. They say, mind the gap, right? Very charming logo, tourists buy it on t-shirts. In New York, for contrast, in all our subway stations, we have signs that say, in 2012, 141 (laughs) people were struck by trains. (laughs) 55 were killed. That's not even a warning. There's nothing there that tells you how to act. That's just us as a city boasting about how lethal our public transit is. Just like New York City, deadliest fucking trains on the planet. They're like cobras on steel tracks. So this story takes place almost five years ago. And it's late at night, and I'm getting onto the subway with my girlfriend at the time. And we step onto the subway, and as we're walking onto the train, I mention 19th century German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck. Because I know how to seal the deal. (laughs) (laughs) And we walk onto the train, and right across from us, there's a homeless gentleman, asleep, standing up in the style of a horse. (laughs) That's how they do it, that's how he did it. And that wasn't the moment that I felt at home. I wasn't like, let me join you, father, right? It was, that's just where it starts. So we walk onto the train, and when I mention Otto von Bismarck, the 19th century chancellor of Germany, he wakes up, (laughs) stares me in the eyes, and engages me in debate. Like we're a one-on-one debate society, (laughs) and my time is up. And I expected him to have kind of the standard homeless gentleman voice, right? Like Tom Waits on his Tom Waitsiest day. <laughs> but he did not He had this beautiful, rich baritone. And when he spoke to me, this is what he said. Verbatim. There were no chancellors in those days. <laughs> Otto von Bismarck was the king of Germany. He unified the Germanic people, but he scattered Africa. That is the legacy of Otto von Bismarck. (laughs) Then he fell back to sleep standing up (laughs) like Abraham Lincoln at Disney World's Hall of Presidents, leaving me to wonder, is that what he says to everyone that gets on the train? And I just brought up the topic he was going to discuss anyway. I did not have to worry. My girlfriend woke him up to ask a follow-up question, which until that point was the thing I thought she only did to me. She says, excuse me, how did you have that knowledge at your fingertips, waking up from a dead sleep in that way? How did you come by this expertise? That was amazing. And he said, I studied in England. I studied in France. I was a professor here at Monroe College in the Bronx. But now, look at me. Here I am, homeless and an alcoholic, asleep on this train with my two ladies. And we look around. And there's nobody else on the train. Then he opens his jacket. He's got Jack Daniels on one side, Johnny Walker on the other, which to me didn't look like ladies, but gender's a spectrum, and I wasn't there to judge. Then he goes back to sleep as if to suggest, this is kind of where I do this. Leave me alone. My girlfriend wakes him up again to ask one more question. She goes, what was it like living in Europe? (laughs) Like he just got back from a semester abroad and had to write an independent study essay. And he answered very graciously. He said, it was better there. There was health care for everyone. Here, if I'm sick, who knows what happens to me? But there, I see a doctor immediately. I thought that was really, like, an incredible, thoughtful answer given the circumstances. And the train stopped, and we got off, and I was just, like, blown away by how we'd completely written off this man's station in life and his perspective based on the way we met him, right? But he had this incredible breadth of knowledge and a willingness to share it that I thought was really incredible and impressive, and it kind of knocked me on my heels. And we get onto another train to go the rest of the way home. And I lived in like Hamilton Heights in Harlem, heavily Dominican neighborhood. Yeah, woo. (laughs) It was a lovely place. So there was, I think, a Dominican woman and her little six-year-old son, who's the cutest kid I've ever seen, and he's got a hat on that's the face of Bert from Sesame Street. I was like, hey, man, that's a great hat. And he looks up at his mom like, can I talk to the stranger? And she kind of nods like, yeah, this nerd's not any trouble. (laughs) I can tell from the cardigan. (laughs) It's the summer. And he looks up at me, and he says, thank you. And I say, you're welcome. And he's now emboldened, because I've spoken to him, and I've engaged him, right? So he comes at me with a question. He goes, are you two the brother and the sister? And I was like, no. And then he says, why not? which was a question I'd never considered the answer to. (laughs) Certainly not in like a family-friendly way, right? Because my first instinct was just to be like, nah, dog, I smash that on the regular, you heard? Pound it, son. (laughs) But that can't be his sex talk. (laughs) That's not my place. But I figured it out, I said, because we have different moms and dads. And that was enough for him. He was like, thank you. So the train stops, and we go to leave, and this little boy and his mom get up to leave. And he is so excited. He's like, this is my stuff too. Perhaps I will see you tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, maybe. Because <laughs> when you're like a 30-year-old dude with some of a beard, you can't make plans to hang out with the six-year-old you just met. <laughs> That's not a play date. That's like textbook Amber Alert. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, maybe. But I was so Charmed by this little kid, right? He was so open and curious and just soaking up the world like a sponge, just hungry for information and excited to learn about the world around him and the people around him. And that was so amazing. Just that we'd first met this man, right, who we'd totally written off because of his position in society. Then we met this child who just had unlimited enthusiasm and boundless curiosity. And I thought, wow, that really, to me, represents the entire spectrum of human potential, I really thought that, and I said out loud to my girlfriend as we walked up the stairs to my apartment, I was like, I need to be a better person. I want to be a better citizen of this world, which that's not even a phrase. (laughs) That just sounds like a gap ad for HIV awareness. And I said that and we get to my apartment and the first thing I do is I turn on my laptop and the first thing I do once my laptop boots up is I look up Otto von Bismarck. And the first thing I find out when I read that Wikipedia entry is he was the fucking chancellor the entire time. I was like, that dick didn't even know what he was talking about. That little kid probably wasn't even a kid. He was probably a 45 year old Mexican little person who likes to punk out white people on the subway. And at that point, I realized the lesson of that night wasn't that you should trust and embrace every point of view and seek out diverse experiences. It's that you should be glad you didn't go to Monroe College in the Bronx because their faculty is made up of flying drifters. (laughs) It's the wrong lesson, but I learned it. Thank you guys so much. Good night.
6: About a revolution
3: sounds, yes. This is Risk. This is Tracy Chapman behind me now. The stories are funny this episode, and the songs are about kicking ass. <laughs> we just heard from Josh Gondelman, and before that, a little interstitial from the wonderful Jeff Farr, our episode editor. And before that, of course, we heard Jillian Welsh, who will be in the show Two Truths and a Lie at the next Stage Festival in Toronto in January. She's also part of the sketch comedy group Mine Cunt. So there you go. I I said that word that I rarely say. And before we get back to these stories, I want to say, you know, we've all taken jobs to earn extra cash. Back in the day, I prostituted myself. But I've got a better way. (laughs) You can earn extra money on the side. It's so much easier thanks to Uber. Uber's the ultimate side hustle. Driving with Uber is a new way you can earn extra cash whenever you want. It's not just another JOB, it's totally flexible. You can turn it on and off, just like your car. If you have a few spare hours here and there, drive with Uber. Have you ever wanted to be your own boss? you'd probably make a great boss. Drive with Uber and you're your own boss. If you're driving right now, you could be earning right now. Every day is payday when you drive with Uber because you can cash out anytime with instant pay. With access to instant pay, cash out your earnings up to five times a day with no minimum amount required. So listen, if you enjoy earning extra cash, if there's something special you'd like to buy, your car can start making you money. So go ahead, get your side hustle on. Sign up to drive with Uber today. Go to uber.com slash drive now. That's uber.com slash drive now. U B E R.com slash drive now. All right. In a little bit, the wonderful Adam Newman makes his return to the show. The hilarious Adam Newman. Uh, but before that, Jay Flewelling. Told this hilarious story the last time we were in Portland, Oregon. Here he is now. This is Jay Flewelling with a story we call
6: 6040.
1: So, my name's Jay, and I do a lot of improv comedy, and I have for seven years. You know, once upon a time at my home theater, there was this really tall, dashing, handsome man who's really well-dressed, and he was really attractive, and we had this really flirtatious relationship, really playful, you know, really spicy. And, you know, the only thing that was wrong with it is he was straight. (laughs) damn it. <laughs> it's like the story of my life. But, you know, he was, you know, he was straight, but he was what I call a 60-40, okay? And that's 60% straight. He's legitimately straight, but he's 40% gay. <laughs> There's this moment, you know, like the 60% is like in charge, and he's like the big brother. He's like a bro, you know, and he's just like, oh, he's like, Pushing the forty percent in the corner, and nobody knows you're here, stay in the stay down there. But every once in a while the 60% will get tired or will, like get blacked out with his bros and he has to take a nap. And the forty percent is like, I'm coming out. And us hundred percent, we live for that moment. Cause you know all the you know all the Ted Cruz people of the world you know they always say all these like insane things about the gay agenda and they're all insane you know and one of them is always like they're trying to make people gay and they say that cause it's true. <laughs> I'll give it to them. You know, but we only want the hot ones, so <laughs> Heidi, you can have Ted Cruz. <laughs> And so, you know, when a 60-40 gets around, like, 100%, you know, it's like the 40%, like, it, there's hope in the world. You know, it comes alive. And it's like a horcrux from Harry Potter, like, being drawn to me, you know. because, you, know, you know, gay men can, like, they, they can smell each other. You know, it's like a sixth sense, you know. And, like, you know, and there's nothing more alluring than the smell of a sixty forty, okay? And it just, you know, it just smells like magic, okay? It also smells like what straight people will never know, okay, just don't try. <laughs> right now, you know, I can smell like 10 60,40s. I mean, I mean 100, it's Portland, I'm sorry. <laughs> Silly me. And so this guy that I performed a lot of improv with, you know, he was classic 60-40. Like all the classic signs were there. One, he was really into musical theater. But as an actor, okay? You know, and he, he also had a six-pack, which straight guys just don't have six-packs. It doesn't, doesn't exist. And if you're out there like, hey, I'm a straight guy and I have a six-pack. Well... You might need to have some honest reflection with yourself. <laughs> if you want to hang out with the show, I'm down. <laughs> but the, the most classic 60-40 sign was he was still dating his high school girlfriend who was also into musical theater, you know, and so they went to college together and they went to Portland to do musical theater together, you know, and yeah, I was just like, you know, come on, 60-40, okay? <laughs> And, you know, when we would do improv, you know, because he was really good at improv, not as good as I was, but, you know, he was good, and a trained improviser, like, everything's open. You're, you're training yourself not to think and just let it come out, you know, and so when him and I would do scenes, they would get real gay real fast. <laughs> And, like, sometimes, you know, I was like, I don't want to do, like, a gay trope scene, you know, and I would be like, I'm your girlfriend. And he would just be like, give me the Johnson Files, boyfriend. I'm like... It's like he would hear what he wanted to hear. And I believe the saying is, a drunk man's words are a sober man's improv scenes. So... For me, you know, I grew up in the church and I grew up like really isolated really sheltered and I mean I went to a private school which was part of the church I went to I went there every week and youth group and you know, I grew up in that and when you're starting to be honest with yourself and you're starting to be honest with who you want and who you're attracted to there's a really strong feeling of I cannot be gay because they cannot be right all the people who were mean to me All the people that looked at me like I was a freak, you know, my teachers telling me not to talk with my hands, my uncle calling me faggy across a card table at a family event. I mean, all those people cannot be right. They cannot win. And that's a hard feeling to shake. And it's even harder for a 60-40 because, you know, they didn't have to come out. They're not coming out. They're not really gay, but then they have that really strong feeling of, like, no, they can't win. So me and the 60-40, <laughs> we get scheduled for a show together, and we get there at call time, and we're circling up with the cast and crew, and we're going over the show, and he turns to me, and he's like, hey, Jay, you know, my girlfriend's out of town. You know, what are you doing at the show? You want to get a drink? All I heard was, my girlfriend's out of town. <laughs> I'm hanging out with you. What's going on? You're the most interesting person. I, yeah, let's. what's up? And we do the show, and it's great. I mean, the show is awesome. It's super fun. Everybody goes out to the bar, like, afterward. And we're just, you know, it's great. Everything's good. And, like, me and the 60-40, like, we are locked in. Like, it is green lights all the way, you know. And it is a flirt fest northwest, okay? There's laughing and, like, extended shoulder touches. And even like extended knee touches. And like, this is this is good. Like 40% is like, it's raining, man. And I'm like, hey man, yeah, this is great. And I'm like, oh man, I wish I could smoke some weed right now. And he's like, oh yeah, I have some weed at my house. You wanna go to my house? Yes. Two of my favorite things, weed and your house. Let's go. And he's like, cool, you know, like, oh, you biked here, you know. I promise I'll give you a ride home. Like, we can lock up your bike on my rack. I'm like, okay, great. And we close out our tabs, and we're like, everything's great. We're walking out the door. And then the enemy of all 60-40 moments shows up, unknown to my scans. Some voice is like, are you guys going to go smoke weed? And we turn around, hot, straight woman. (laughs) And it's like slow motion, like hair flip, perfect. It's just like, you guys going to smoke weed? Baywatch. You know, and, and he's like 64. And he's like, yeah, you want to come with us? I was like, yeah, you want to come with us? She's like, yeah, let's go. And we like go to the cars and we're putting my bike on the rack. And I'm like, oh, gosh. And it's really complicated. And it's a key. And this whole thing. I'm like, OK, well, you know, whatever. This is, this is fine. No, no You know, we'll go there. We'll smoke some weed. It'll be fine. You know, she'll leave, and then me and sixty forty can get to doing the Lord's work. <laughs> and we get to the apartment, and it's a weird couple's apartment. It's like obviously a couple's apartment that shopped exclusively at IKEA, and she bought everything. Okay, so it's that's what's going on, and the weed is hidden in a real... Like, one, it's hidden. Well, what? <laughs> and two, it's hidden in, like, like, the weirdest spot. Like, he's hiding it from her. And I'm about ready to say something. I'm like, whatever. Rum Springer. Okay. <laughs> you know. Whatever. And so we smoke weed. And as soon as we, like, smoke weed, everything starts to suck. <laughs> We can't like keep a conversation going. Like we're just struggling. Like this evening is tanking, really bad. We don't know. Like we can't find anything to do, and we settle on trying to play apples to apples on the floor. There's only three of us. It sucks so bad, but we're all like, we're having fun. Yeah, I'm having fun. You're know, like, ah. And the woman, you know, she keeps saying like, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. (laughs) Just like batting her eyes. I'm so tired. And I'm like, if you're so tired, why don't you just go? And that's when I realized, you know, I'm waiting for her to leave. She's waiting for me to leave. And I was like, two can play this game. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I'm so tired, ugh, yawn fest, ugh, yawn, ugh, tired. And she's like, yeah, I'm so tired, and rolls over, like, perfect amount of cleavage, and I'm like, I can't compete with this! Years of training of feminine wiles, like, I'm no match! And it really is getting really late, and it is really bad. It was so boring, we're like, we're so tired, we're on the floor. And I'm like, okay, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm out. And I stand up. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to bike home. And boom, he's awake. She's awake. They're up. Everything's alive. I'm like, oh, you're going home? Well, I told you I'd give you a ride home. Let's go. And I was like, yes! I'm back in the game. But the emperor strikes back. And she's like, hey, no. You know, you have to work in the morning. We don't. I want to take him home for you. Classic female move. <laughs> Me, the woman, wants to do this for you, the man. She's setting herself up for the next time the girlfriend's out of town. And he's like, No, I promised Jay I'd give him a ride home. I'm like, Yeah, he promised. And she's like, no, I live in Southeast. This bike can fit in my car. Like, I wanna do this for you. And she's so persistent and she's so logical. And like I can see the 6040's face is really like like fighting it and it's like oh well okay, yeah. And right then the sixty forty moment just like goes through my it's gone. It is gone, and we walk down the weird stairs and cross the gloomy street. You know, me and the sixty forty are like forlorningly like taking off my bike from his bike rack and unlocking it, and it's really complicated it's just taking way too long. And we're just like looking at each other and we're baffled. We're like, what happened? What happened to the evening that was promised to us? And the 40% is like, no! And my one hundred percent is like no and his sixty percent is like that was close, bro. <laughs> Real close.
5: Oof, oof.
1: And we load up my bike in her car as soon as the door shuts. All feminine wiles, all pretense, just drops. She pulls out a Pall Mall cigarette, like lights it up like a trucker. You know, she like looks over at me oblivious and is like, oh man, don't you just think he's so hot? And I look right at her dumb face and I say, yeah, I do. Now take me home. Thank you so much.
0: I don't know how, I don't know why, but I like ladies and I like guys. I realize it's a surprise, but now I see that that's just me. It's not like I even tried. Some may say, are oh, you just gay? Why don't you just go gay all the way? But that's not it, because buy's legit. Whether you're a he or a she, we might be a perfect fit. So
5: if you ask me To
3: get that
0: on bisexual. Oh, thank you, everybody. Um, So, this was uh, September 2010. I was walking through uh, South uh, Brooklyn, south of Prospect Park. Um, It's more residential area. Brooklyn I had a I had like a 7 a.m. I think I was like shooting a a, like a comedy video for like a hundred bucks I just want to make it very not braggy. Okay, I don't want to be like I had a shoot and you guys are like Ooh, like it was a it was like a web video for like a hundred bucks But it was like seven o'clock in the morning and I was walking in like res It's like residential Brooklyn, but it's also like right off the train So we're not in the middle of nowhere. I'm walking on kind of a busy street And uh, as I'm walking down the busy street on the side street in front of me, this girl is riding on like a beach cruiser kind of bicycle and just... Without Just straight into the middle of the street, and then a car at like 40, 50 miles an hour just just slams into her, and she goes flying off the thing. I saw a girl get hit by a bike, and nobody else was around. It was just me and her, and that's a terrifying moment for... The truth is, it's a terrifying moment for her. I realize that. But this is also terrifying. This is about me right now, okay? It's a terrifying moment for me, because... That's a ton of responsibility put on me that I did not ask for and I'm not prepared for at 7 o'clock in the morning, right? I don't want to be, you can't, you can leave, I guess. You can be an asshole and leave, but you're supposed to help. And I'm I'm a decent enough guy to be like, I gotta, here's the thing, I don't, the car stopped, but no one got out of it. The car hit her, she flew out, and she's screaming, by the way. There's nobody, this is 7 in the morning, sun just came up. She is screaming, the car just kind of pulls over on the side, and nobody's around. And I know I gotta help. And I also know you gotta help because uh, people got cameras, you know? If that was me, do you know what I would be if it was me, if I lived in one of those houses and I heard that? Do you know what I would do? This is a shitty thing, but the truth is, I would have my phone, and I'd be videotaping it outside my window, is what I would probably do. Don't look at don't look at me like you wouldn't do that. They they saw a dude, me. I was standing. They're like that dude has to do something because he saw it. You never know who's watching you, right? You can't run away. I got to save her. So I go out in the middle of the street. I'm kind of an occasional cars coming by. I'm trying to get them to go off to the side or whatever. And this girl just screaming with her bike in pieces. I go, are you okay? And she's just like, and I was like, can you get up? And she's like. And I'm like, I'm calling 911. And she goes, no, I don't have health insurance. I'm like, oh, look who can talk. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? She's just screaming, just screaming until I said I'm calling uh, 911. Don't have health insurance. I go, okay, I totally understand that. Because, you know, an ambulance ride is like... Five hundred thousand dollars is how much an ambulance ride costs, and so I was like, I totally understand that. Can you stand up? She's like, No, I can't stand up. I'm like, Okay, you're in the middle of the street. I don't know what's broken. I know I'm not allowed to move you. I have to call nine one one, and so she. I did. I called nine one one, and within three minutes, we got like three fire trucks. Multiple police cars and an ambulance, right? And immediately I was thinking, first of all, why don't ever... I think you should never tell children about 911. You shouldn't do that, because if I was five years old and and I knew that when I called 911, all my favorite things showed up, I would have been calling 911 daily, every single day. If I knew that three little numbers would mean that all my toys came to life and appeared in front of me... Fuck coloring. There might as well be a button that makes dinosaurs come to life. Nine one one is the greatest thing. I don't know why people in general, but I don't know why drunks. me on three drinks, I'd be calling. I don't know why people don't call nine one one anonymously. I think it says a lot about. I don't think we give. I don't think we give Americans enough credit for being civil. Whatever. Okay, so. <laughs> So it's all, everything shows up, police, ambulances, whatever. And uh, the guys, I, don't, I think a police officer went to the car and was talking to them, I don't know, I didn't see them. And uh, she's in good hands now, right? She's in good hands, the ambulance is taking care of her and a police officer asked me a few questions, what did you see? And I was like, I, I, I saw her go in the street, I saw the car hit her and I was like, I gotta go, I have a place to go. And he was like, okay, just give me your name and phone number and you're free to go. And so that was it. Oh, by the way, while I was standing there, one the producer of the video walked by while the fire trucks and everything, and she was like, Newman, what the fuck did you do? And I was like, wasn't me. This is a fun uh, side thing. Okay, so <laughs> we go, we do the shoot whatever. We go, uh, and I don't. That's, that's it. That's the whole scary moment I, I'd experienced on the street. Cut to a few months later, I got a Facebook message from a girl saying hi is this adam newman is this the adam newman that uh helped me in brooklyn i got your name and and uh your your number was wrong or something but i got your name from the police report and i wrote back uh yeah that was me i hope you're doing all right and uh, she wrote back i hurt my tail uh, i broke my tailbone but uh, i'm recovering nicely i manage a yacht company, I would love to take you sailing in gratitude. Okay? That was her wording. I'd like to take you sailing in gratitude. And I'm looking through her profile, and she's like... I didn't notice. She's like a girl my age, cute, blonde girl, uh, way, way cuter, not crying. Girls are way cuter when they're not crying. <laughs> Don't make girls cry, guys. Uh, they're cuter. She was very... Don't make girls cry. That's my message on this. Don't try not to make... Is he sleeping? Okay. Okay. There's a g- podcast people at home. There's a guy in the front row sleeping, and it's making me feel real bad right now. Okay. Everybody else thinks I'm doing okay? Okay, great. Fine. I, just, I might check in and do that every now and again. Drunk guy's giving me a, a okay sign, so that's nice. Cool. Um, <laughs> So, you're just closing your eyes. Oh yeah, totally doesn't affect me on stage at all. While you're in the front row and I can see you all lit up, great. Okay, so, so I, so she goes, I want to take sailing in gratitude, and this is how, this is how a fucking romantic comedy starts, right? This is literally the beginning of the best romantic comedy none of us have ever seen before. I save a girl's life. And then she emails me and she's like, I'm gonna take you sail." She's from Vermont. I'm from New Hampshire. Holy shit. New England. The right side up one, right next to the upside down one. We're gonna go sailing. We're gonna hit it off. We're gonna have sex on the boat and we're gonna get married. I'm already like, we're getting married. This is the this is an amazing couples meeting story. And so I'm like, I gotta write back a good message. I wrote like, I'm so glad you're doing better. A cute little thing about tailbones are overrated or something. And I was like, I, name the time and place, I'd love to go sailing. And then, she never responded. She never responded. I said, yes, I would love to go sailing and she never responded. And how shitty is that? Because how do I follow up? How can I be the one to follow up to that? How can I? I can't wait a week and be like, hey, what's up with that sailing shit? I can't do that. Even if it's like prof- I thought about, I was like, maybe you'll do it like professional. Can't, you can't be like, like, a, like following up for a job interview, you know? Like a Like, uh, hey, this is uh, Adam Newman. Just wanted to remind you, still interested in the sailing thing, my qualifications include I saved your fucking life. Are you kidding me? She never responded to it, and it was also October at this point, and I was worried. Like, I'm gonna miss my wind. It's getting cold, you know. Like, it's October. Like, if I wait too long, it's gonna be winter, and then I can't wait the whole winter, and then be like, like around like April, be like, hey, is it sailing season yet? Like, when do we do this? I don't know what to do. So I never, I never, I never got an answer. I never got to go sailing with her. So cut to. A year later, this is September 2011, I get another Facebook, always Facebook, I got a Facebook message. Uh, It was uh, Adam, I work for an attorney representing a woman, and said her name, uh, who was hit by a car while riding her bicycle in Brooklyn last September. The police report listed an Adam Newman as a witness. Are you that Adam Newman? And then in parentheses he wrote, uh, "How often are you asked that question?" L O L. Okay, that's like weird for an attorney. First of all, for an attorney to even contact you on Facebook and put an L O L in there, I thought it was very odd not the best attorney ever but uh and then he goes on and he was like wondering and he attached like a little map of the the intersection with lights you know the the traffic lights and the stop signs and the street names and a little diagram of the bike and the car and stuff and he goes i just wanted to uh i want to know exactly what you saw she was apparently suing the driver and trying to prove i'm the one witness prove that it wasn't her fault right I immediately, so I called, I called him, he left his number, and uh, he was like, yeah, trying to find out it's not her fault, and I immediately went, yeah, it was, it was totally her fault. It was her fault. No, 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 listen, listen, it was, I didn't, I didn't mention that earlier, I'm sorry, I should've mentioned that in the beginning. It was her fault, okay? Like, the car in the busy street is just going through a green light, she had a stop sign, she didn't look either way, she just plows through full speed and got hit by the car, okay? That car had no idea, that, it was her fault. My point is, okay, if she had taken me sailing, I would have been happy to lie to a fucking lawyer in the car that hit her. I don't even know who's in that car. I didn't see them get out. But, but... She, she offered the sailing and that ignored me. We could have had a fucking romantic comedy whole situation thing. Moral of the story is if someone saves your fucking life and then you offer to take them sailing as a reward for that and then the person uh, takes you up on the offer and then you ignore them, you have to pay all your medical bills. That's a very specific moral of this story. Does anybody have any questions? Okay, then I am done. Thank you for having me, everybody.
3: That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is John Lennon behind me now. And we just heard from Adam Newman, And before that, Jay Flewelling in Portland, Oregon. All right, listen. Get your side hustle on. Sign up to drive with Uber and earn extra cash wherever you want. It's totally flexible. You're your own boss. You can cash out up to five times a day. No minimum amount required. Sign up today at uber.com slash drive now. That's uber.com slash drive now. Now, here is where Risk is coming next. A lot of big shows coming up soon, folks. And some of them, we still need pitches from you guys. On November 16th, we are back at the Bell House in Brooklyn. A lot of wonderful storytellers for that show. On November 18th, November 18th, we're in Chicago, Illinois. That's going to be one hell of a show. On November 19th, we're back at the bootleg in Los Angeles. Come on out, Los Angeles. December 15th, we're in Detroit, Michigan. That is a show for which we need pitches. December 15th, we're at the Magic Bag in Detroit, Michigan. The theme is funky. And if you go to wrist-show.com slash submissions... You can find out how to pitch us. Pitch us your funky stories, Detroit folks. And then December 16th, the next night, we're in Milwaukee. Coming back to Milwaukee, December 16th. The theme that night is eye-opening. So, like I said, wrist slash submissions. Send us your eye-opening pitches, people in Milwaukee, for December 16th. On January 27th, we will be back in San Francisco. And on February 17th, we'll be back in Carborough, North Carolina. We're taking pitches for that one, the Carborough show. The theme is What? So February 17th, Carborough, North Carolina pitches, folks, riskdeshow.com slash submissions. Folks, today's the day. In the name of freedom. And equality, and justice, and love. Take a risk.
6: This land is your land. This land is my land. California, to the New York Island, from the redwood forest to the gold stream waters. This land belongs to you and me, as I win
0: you think that you're not any good. I hate a song that makes you think you're just born to lose,
5: bound to lose, no good to nobody, no good for nothing,
0: because you're either too old or too young or too fat or too thin or too ugly or too this or too that. Songs that run you down or songs that poke fun at you on account of your bad luck or your hard traveling. I am out to fight those kind of songs to my very last breath of air and my last drop of blood. I'm out to sing songs that'll prove to you that this is your world and that it has hit you pretty hard and knocked you down for a dozen loops. No matter how hard it's run you down and rolled over you, no matter what color, what size you are, how you're built, I am out to sing the songs that'll make you take pride in yourself.
6: As I went walking, I saw a sign there, and on the sign it said "No Trespassing." But on the other side, it didn't say nothing. That side was made for you
5: and me. This land. this land is mine.